Yeah. Hello and welcome back to the Couchie Podcast. My name is Ryan Parker, and I'm joined, as always, by Matt. The Celtics are up on the Nets 2-0. Chamberlain, how you doing, Matt? Well, I'm doing better than Rudy Gobert right now. <laughs> uh, the reaction you just saw was Spencer Dinwiddie just murdered him. Uh, <laughs> I did not see that coming. Uh, that was a live reaction there. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, I'm doing great. <laughs> that was incredible. I was introducing the podcast, and I just see Matt's reaction to this this play. Uh, that was that was great. Um, <laughs> uh, well, anyway, before we get too much further into episode 138, let me remind everyone to follow us on Twitter, on our Instagram. Uh, you can also give us a rating or view on the podcast platform of your choice. If you missed episode 137, uh, we talked about the Lakers and we did some one, two, three Cancun stuff for them. We also talked about more in-depth off-season stuff. We we also gave our all NBA teams. Matt, did you have any uh, uh, second thoughts about your all NBA teams? Well, the Pascal pick is definitely not looking great in the playoffs. Um, so, you know, got to roll with the regular season award. Really liking my Brandon Ingram pick, though. I know we'll talk about that here in a bit. I'll just say that. Um, good good stuff from the All-NBA. That's kind of an evergreen episode, so if you ever want to check that out, go check out episode 137. In NBA news, there's not really much. The playoffs are happening, and uh, it's amazing. The Clips are, Clippers, Spurs, Cavs, and Hornets all got bounced from the plant, though, uh, and we'll do some 1-2-3 Cancun stuff on them later um uh in another episode matt let's start there let's start on the playoffs let's talk some playoff series how, how are you feeling about these playoffs so far pretty entertaining across the board so far i'm having fun um what stands out most though is the defense just looking across the league uh we've seen some incredible defensive performances playing like some real NBA stars like having a tough time which you know the we always talk about the league trending towards the offense mm. and, and the offensive side of the ball these playoffs and what we can start with um Hawks heat man like that Miami defense is just tough as hell to deal with they're so connected and they move so well they scramble so well um they have just dudes i mean uh, do you want to be guarded by Kyle Lowry. I mean, it's not like he's the best defender, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anything to do with guarding, being guarded by Kyle Lowry. And it's like, okay, here, you know, the, kind of the, like the Trey Young thing is like, okay, just give me a screen from the big man to get this guard off of me. Okay, well, here's Bam Adebayo. Like, good luck. <laughs> and, you know, I know Trey had a, actually a pretty good statistical game two, but like the end of that game particularly like the fourth quarter not getting what he wanted and that first game was obviously a massive struggle and I know there was a lot of talk about like that was a scheduled loss just based off of when they had their playing game when they had their uh, first game one of the of the playoffs but still that Miami defense like you can't get PJ Tucker switched on to you or Bam switched on to you like it was just a nightmare right just physical um, just kind of <laughs> swarming defense from the Miami Heat. It, it, 
I don't I don't know. They we've talked about them a little bit off and on throughout the year, but most slept on one seed ever historically. Um and like they're just so good. Um well, I think I, they're slept on because they don't have like the prime time score. You yeah. Know, like, right. It, there's no like Kevin Durant. I mean like that, but yeah, exactly. Um I I also wonder if this is like some of like the Hawks playing into the heat though, because like Trey like is a great ISO scorer. It doesn't feel like it's ever like getting everyone involved in a set though. It's all like you said, top of the key initiate by Trey. And if it's not initiated by Trey, he's standing at the logo, which we've talked about before. It just feels all very stagnant. And I feel like a way to beat that version of, this heat team is like you have to have really good movement yeah right like the switches and the help defense like on the drive if they're just standing there ready for it like they're just gonna be able to conserve energy for the first you know 10 seconds of the shot clock right and just like make the pretty easy read on who moves where you rotate down you rotate over and you're good you know and um we're gonna stay on this series but um there was some NBA Twitter discourse and Isaiah Thomas, like former Boston Celtic, Isaiah Thomas, like chimed into it about like the Nets Celtic series about like the like, KD not being able to get free. And it was kind of the same conversation of like, well, you just have him, you know, standing there at the top of the key and then saying, okay, here's the ball, go do something. Right. And it's like, well, when you're playing a great defense, like you just have five defenders staring at him guys heavy digging off and really like you're not going to make them guard anything else and that's right. kind of faster than for your offense and that's the same thing here in this heat hawk series is like if you're not going to run trey through screens if you're not going to have him set an occasional screen like if you're not going to set him up in different locations and then have him rise to the top um, of the key or to the wing like you're just making it easy on miami to read what to do Mm. Mm. yeah yeah exactly like i I mean especially in series like you kind of just know what teams are gonna run eventually after first couple games and you know their stuff and so like when it's so iso heavy you kind of just eliminate a lot of that stuff like you eliminate a lot of the guessing and guesswork uh done on the defensive side of the ball um and like when you have like a team that does play connected like that, it's hard to even run stuff sometimes and get guys free. But like, I feel like that's the, that's the better, better option because over time, like, like you said, like guys are conserving energy, like by the fourth quarter, like, yeah, your stuff might not work like to perfection in the first two and a half qu- quarters, but like by the, end of the third start of the fourth quarter like you might start getting some looks you weren't getting in the first quarter at least it's why like the golden state offense is always kills you in the third quarter right run around a thousand screens <laughs> in the first two quarters by the third quarter then you think you had a break and really though it's like no you're just like still tired now yeah then they just absolutely murder you then like that's, right. that's what happens and it's part of why their offense is so effective but like with Miami, I, I like this is a verbatim note I had in our in our outline. Like 
this just like you've been saying, Trey seems like he wants to take on the entire city of Miami by himself. Right. Like if we're being honest in these two games, the best the Hawks have looked is when other guys like Bogdan have been like empowered to like you go do something like let's get the eyes shifting somewhere else. Or if they're not going to focus on you, go cook them. Because right. Talented players on Atlanta. Like Bogdanovich is good. Like Herder's good. Like mm. DeAndre Hunter is not like a prime creator, but he's good. These like other guys have to be given a chance to like make Miami respect them. I wonder how much like I I know John Collins isn't like this player necessarily, but I, I wonder how much not having him in the lineup affects some of the like okay Trey like come on get it out of your hands like give give a guy like John Collins the ball to start some of that movement on offense because I like you said like Bogdanovich can be really good in spurts and he was really good in game two um and kind of rejuvenate yeah rejuvenated them um I I just don't know though like is that like a Trey thing or is this a Nate McMillan thing it feels like a Trey thing but I mean it's kind of hard to tell it feels like a Trey thing only because this was effectively the same problem the last two years also right different head coach and again it wasn't until last year whenever it felt like Bogdanovich and Herter got to start cooking like against like the, in that Philly series for example that it was like okay this this is a real team now right that can actually do something rather than just one talented player I so like yeah is there stuff Nate McMillan could do better yeah there is like I don't feel particularly impressed with anything they're running for example right that either just that's his call or maybe it's just what he allows Maybe it's not what he wants, but he's allowing it. So therefore, it is what it is. I don't know. And like that's only people within that organization that have that answer. But right, that's what's so hard to watch up Atlanta and why it's so frustrating all year. Them being a nine seed, like they are way more talented than Cleveland, and they eventually did knock off Cleveland in the play-in. But like they had way more talent than that team. There's no reason Cleveland should have been a, you know, top half-ish of the Eastern conference playoffs all year. And Atlanta was struggling just to get to the play in. I got that's what a, made it frustrating. That's a really great point. Is that like when <laughs> yeah, the ninth overall seed playing like a ninth overall seed shouldn't be surprising, but like we see flashes occasionally from the Hawks that make us believe that they can be better and they could be a championship level team and they just haven't shown it consistently enough this year and still in this playoff series. For them to turn around, they can show that consistency. It also has to be an effort thing on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and like they've got to find a way to defend Jimmy Butler at this point. Like DeAndre Hunter seems like your best option because Butler, again, he made a couple of threes early in game two. But, like, we we all knew at the end of the day, though, like, come second half, like, he wasn't going to keep settling for threes. Like, he, he made a couple early, but he was going to go to the rim. And just – it didn't feel like anyone for Atlanta was, like, even stepping in his way to, like, prohibit him from getting to the rim. Yeah. And I know Hunter had some foul trouble, but, like, that, that feels like he's got to be – that's got to be his assignment 
he's got to back off a little bit, give him some space, take the bump, and, and you know, keep the arms, you know, from you know, raking Jimmy Butler. Then that feels like their best option there. But even that, like, someone's got to guard Lowry. Someone's got to keep track of Hero and Robinson. Right. And I don't know who else I trust on Atlanta defensively to do that on the perimeter. So it's kind of. I feel like it's kind of like last year when Atlanta got matchups that didn't really expose Trey on the defensive side of the ball. And Miami's just like, okay, every time. Like, Jimmy's going to – they're going to call him in a pick and roll. They're going to get him in action, what we've been calling – what we called New York and Philly to do all those times. And they just couldn't take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of rearing its head. Like, you saw Trey, I think, in the uh, uh, fourth quarter, got in a pick and roll with Jimmy Butler, and he just blew right by Trey, split the double team, and scored at the rim because there was no one back there. I, again, feel like this could be a spot where John Collins could be a big help. Um, if he was fully healthy and able, like, yeah, it'd be different. Like, Clint Capella, if he was healthy and available, this might be a little different. But <laughs> it's also, not. Like, yeah. Like, it, one, yeah, it's just, it's not. But two, like, I don't know, maybe John Collins helps the offense. But, like, Miami is just so... In, like you were saying it earlier, like in tune with what they want to do and where they need to be. I don't know if it'd matter. Like it'd probably mm-hmm. matter winning a game or two in the series. Right. But probably not the final outcome of the series as a whole. hundred mm. um, percent. Moving. Do you want, you feel good? Any yeah, other points like, you want to hit about like, this series? Yeah. Moving on. Celtics nets, Matt, the floor is yours. All the damn smoke. <laughs> Let's go. Um, like honestly, like give me, give me the double birds. Give, give me everything. Um, this... I can fight with it. I love it. Like this is what I want. Um, yeah, like that. I mean, talk about the the Tatum spin finish buzzer beater, but game two. I'm not going to lie. The first, like, three minutes when Bruce Brown had, like, 40 points, I was a little worried, Ryan. I was a little worried. Um, but the way that second half went and Boston just battled back, and then the fourth quarter where Jason Tatum was honestly not good up until that point, but he played a superstar fourth quarter. That was, like, the the real, like, holy crap, like, we might be a, like a, a real, real title team this year. Not just in theory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like Memphis is like an in theory title team this year, or, you know, Dallas is like an in theory title team this year. If Luca returns, that was like the, that fourth quarter is kind of gave me the, Oh, this might be real. Like, mm. um, just the, I mean, one, the team defense, Again, bringing this back up, but two, like, just how in command Tatum was, was pretty insane. The the like the decision making has just been next level this year, and it's translated into the playoffs very nicely. He had what eight close to ten assists the other night in game two. I'll look it up, but it, yeah, it constantly felt like he was making the right pass, even um, when I wasn't following. 
and that's the that's been the transformation. The two things I think we've always talked about with Tatum is that it's been the decision making and then finishing at the rim, which she has both kind of dispelled in this series. It's kind of wild. A year ago, I was in Boston watching this the opposite happen. It was the Nets just stomping up down the court with the Celtics, and now the Celtics have bought in defensively. They have they have really good a uh, good plan on offense, even though it's probably not elite. Um, they're just a really really good team, and with these injuries mounting up, I think you're right, Matt. I think I think there's a legitimate chance that this team, knock on wood, can make a finals run. Um, they've been they've been in this these series these situations before with Tatum and Brown. They've been to the Eastern Conference Finals multiple times. They have the experience. And now it's just kind of feels like, I mean, Milwaukee's in their way, but like, it feels like they can match up with anybody. And I don't think we've been able to really say that before about Boston. Um, and that's been the impressive thing. You're right. And you, and you were right on that 10 assist for Tatum the other night. Yeah. So um, good. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like matching up with anybody, like, I mean, outside of like Peyton Pritchard, like there's really no one in Boston plays that's just like, oh, I don't know if you can hang with this or that, you right. know, because of his size. But even he was like battling last night, like got it, like kind of fighting for rebounds and everything. And of course, hitting big shots. But yeah, like Horford was good. Tice was really good the other night. I know defensively he got cooked a little bit, but I mean, he's generally always in the right spot. Like Grant Williams was phenomenal. And it's just kind of is getting into the again our classic saying here: don't play guys who suck. <laughs> Boston's not, so um, it just makes you like, yeah, all right, we need to go a little bigger, right? Grant Williams, Daniel Tice. Hopefully, we get Robert Williams back at some point. You know, Al Horford. Okay, we need to go a little smaller. You know, okay, we can throw Pritchard out there. You know, Smart can move down to the two. Tatum Brown play the three four, like it kind of works either way up or down the lineup. And I know we talked about this some earlier on previous pods, like just not something Boston's had like in the past, just that flexibility. Um, and then, you know, you said, I think off pod, man, Udoka, I don't know what he's done exactly. Like what he did to like get this team to buy in. But like, that's the, that's like the biggest thing here is it doesn't feel like Brooklyn like them being the Nets and Katie and Kyrie, like it doesn't feel like it matters. It doesn't matter if we're going to play Milwaukee next or, or whoever. It's just like, he's kind of got us all feeling like, all right, cool. That's who we got. We'll win. Yeah. I, that, that, that is a great point. And that like, it, it's Boston just seems so unafraid, unafraid. They just don't care. Like they're just going to line up and they got punched in the face the other night in game two and they got up, you know, brush themselves off and then punch back and we're in it. And I, you know, we talked about constantly with Boston's like they need like one or two guys to hit um, in some form of another. And they finally got that with Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard this year and Congrats. found value in some of these bench guys and like Horford, like finding his career again is just like a huge thing for them. And, you know, they, they, he can play defense. Like he can do things offensively and defensively that 
just not a lot of big guys can do and bring no. to the game, and it gives them a ton of versatility. Um, and no, those feet are moving a lot quicker this year than they did the last year or two. It, it, it was the Oklahoma City water. That's what it was. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I guess when you talk about the other side of the court here, yes, Brooklyn. Uh, we mentioned in the uh, previous matchup series the the Trey versus Miami thing. This has a lot of Kyrie versus Boston. Like he's like, I'm going to take on Boston in this series, not just the Celtics. We're going to take on the Red Sox. We're going to take on the Bruins. We're going to take on Bill Belichick. Like we're taking on everybody uh, in this series. Tom Brady, he's not here anymore, but we're taking him on. <laughs> still taking him on. That's that's kind of the feeling you get a little bit. Um, I mean, he went one for seven in the second half the other night. KD had the very notable 0 for 10 in the second half. But, I mean, Kyrie is great, and he had a great game one. But it very much feels like that ISO that's just, I'm, I'm better, so I'm just going to go at you. But the Boston team defense is just unrelenting and, like, just doesn't care, it feels like. He said, okay, come on. And they're kind of winning. Yeah. I, the, uh, I mean, this has been the knock with like Steve Nash and the, the Nets. They haven't really done much to like help these guys, right? It's not a lot of like the free flowing offense um, that we've kind of seen in the past in spurts with the Nets. It's defaulted a lot to ISO and giving the ball to Durant um, in the mid range or getting Kyrie and pick and roll and it's just kind of weird weird things and i get it like your down shooters like the lineup configuration really for the nets isn't ideal you're missing joe harris i I still feel like seth curry is a bit you know out of it yeah he's still kind of banged up and injured and then you're having to play like patty mills Dragic, and like you know another guard of some sort or claxton or Andre Drummond, which is all fine, but like it just kind of eats away at the margins for this team. And this team doesn't really have much margin to begin with because of the injuries they've sustained. Um, I mean, I it's not over because the this series can turn very quickly. And it's Kyrie and KD. They're some of the best players in the world, but a lot has to change for the Nets to start hitting some getting some of these wins in the series yeah i mean bruce brown like was good to start the game the other night you know but he's not someone you can rely on all game it's like they they need i mean besides the obvious of katie to make a shot in the second half like beyond that level of of analysis like they need you know, Andre Drummond to come up with like two offensive rebound putbacks in the fourth quarter. Like right. they need Nick Claxton to, you know, have like a three minute stretch where Boston just can't score at the rim on him. Like they just need like some level of like step up performance from mm. the lower tier guys, maybe not to win the game, but to like stop the Boston run, you know, like right. they, they no answer it felt like when boston got hot the other night and like finally found their swagger and momentum mm. katie and Kyrie, like yeah make shots make sure but on top of that can we get someone else to like play real playoff basketball right 
it kind of feels like the other guys are just like deers and headlights whenever it's like that time for the Nets, like when it's not Katie and Kyrie. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking again, we'll get to Minnesota and Memphis. Like they're just guys that don't feel like they understand what playoff basketball is. Mm -hmm. And like just the absolute level of detail you have to like accomplish and pay attention to, to win a game. Like you can't just be out there. Like you, you have to be impactful when you're out there. Cause right. if you're not impactful, then it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like your team's playing five on four. Right. Right. And, and you're just going to lose at that point. Like when your team playing a team as good as Boston, I think that's what's going to happen. And if, you know, Bruce Brown is really good early, but if he's not going to do anything late, it doesn't really matter. Like, yep. If you're going to play under Drummond to have a significant rebounding advantage, and for a good chunks of the game, they did. But if it's not going to show up in the fourth quarter, it's, it just doesn't matter, you know? Like, someone has to figure out the fourth quarter. And, of course, it starts with Katie and Kyrie. But, like, Steve Nash has to do a better job of getting those other guys in position. Those mm. other guys have to do a better job of making the play. Mm. Okay, let's move on. Let's go Bucks bulls Um, Gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if there's one series I honestly don't want to watch, it's this one. And I love watching Giannis, and I'm still saying that. Like, it, I just, I just this. It, you know, like Nick Vucevic might just be like the 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 uh, Giannis killer <laughs> in round ones, um, and. It feels like the Bulls got their one win. And it feels like the Bucks could still come out. Like, even without potentially Chris Middleton, like, it still feels like Drew and Giannis could get them to a series win. Um, and, you know, that I, clearly, like, Zach Levine still kind of hobbled. And, like, the Caruso thing on Giannis is just not going <laughs> to work yeah. for seven game series and it seemed to work in game two for whatever reason but it's not gonna work the rest of the series no like you know the bulls like they're obviously like they're they're chippy they're they're gonna fight like the whole thing like you know i can win you a game maybe too but yeah when it comes down to it like Giannis at some point's just gonna like flip a switch and be like okay we're done with this <laughs> And yeah, let me go go extend my arms and I'm just gonna dunk the ball 40 times. Yeah, like love Pat Will. You can't guard Giannis. Like, no, no. So, again, I'm not gonna be shocked if this game or if this series goes six, but yeah, it feels like a five game series at this point. Um, still, even even with DeRozan like going insane, like, that was yeah, a, like, he really was, but I mean. Maybe you count on Zach Levine having like one of those games, also, I guess. But I just I don't know if the Bulls have like enough role players at like a high level to win a, a game because of them. I don't know if Vooch can win you a game, like really. I, you know. The the bigger story out of the series is the Middleton injury, and I know yeah. we still to touch on it there, like. If this is a just this series injury, they're probably fine. Like Drew, Giannis, they can make it. But if this is like a multi 
you know, round injury, that that's like incredibly problematic for Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, Chris last year in their finals run was clearly the second best player hitting. He was the shot creator, like the perimeter shot creator they needed. Yes, and hitting some big time like clutch shots. Like he was hitting some insane shots and the Bucks desperately need that. Um, and if they don't have that, I mean, one of the other perimeter guys, then it, I mean, I guess the duties kind of have to get split up amongst the other perimeter guys. So that means Connaughton, that means Drew, Grayson Allen, yeah. and uh, Bobby Portis, if he's okay. Um, you know, it, it kind of just gets dispersed amongst those guys and, it's not really a great options, <laughs> but it's guys, what the Bucks have, you know. Yeah. None of those guys do you like, oh no, they're gonna take me off the dribble. Like right, right. Guys like Matthews are dangerous as like catch and shoe guys. Right. You know, Grayson Allen probably better as a catch and shoot guy. Pat Connaughton, again, back cuts and catch and shoot, but you're not really worried about any of them breaking you down off the dribble like consistently. Mm. So that's why I'm I'm kind of in the can we just run some like Drew Giannis pick and roll and just see what they're going to do? It's going to force them then to put somebody on Drew that's like actually good defensively. Right. But then also like you can put one of the more defenders that like falls asleep on your shooters and, you know, just kind of run them through some actions maybe to get them some open looks or just like the kick out looks from the guys like losing track of them, you know? Maybe that's what Milwaukee needs to do, or it might just be give Giannis the ball on the left wing and just say get get the hell out of the way. You know, like <laughs> that's a really good option too. I like that option a lot. I like that one. Someone should tell Bud about that. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. So my favorite thing on Twitter is that uh, Bud always looks like he's just. About to lose a crap ton of money to someone in <laughs> Vegas, or he's like out a ton of money to a loan shark or something like that. And I, I, that's yeah, that that's my favorite thing about Bud is that he always looks like he's on the verge of losing a, a egregious amount of money. Um. Anyways, moving on to Philly, Toronto. Uh, Matt, this series is currently sitting at three zero. Does Toronto have a chance of coming back? Oh no. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a series that I, d- I really wanted to be more competitive. I really thought it would be. Um, but you know, the, the first and really the most important note here is if Tyrese Maxey is going to like earn like being the second best player in the series, then this is over for Toronto. Mm. Like mm. if he's going to be like just his level of play is so high. He's out playing Harden. He's out playing Harris. He's out playing Van Fleet. He's out playing Siakam. Like he's out playing Ananobi. Like if if all that's happening, there's no chance for for Toronto. And I don't know how sustainable this is, but it all feels very fluid right now for for Tyrese Maxey. Mm. Yeah. It, um. He. <laughs> He's just gone off. Like you said, he's been the second best player um, for Philly in this series. He's surpassed, uh, in my view, uh, James Harden. And um, like you said, it's just if they're going to be – if he's going to be this good, 
this series is pretty much a wrap. He's shooting 47% from three in this series. Seems um, good. 60% from the field. <laughs> and, yeah, averaging 26 points per game and three, almost four assists. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> like you said, he's just been really awesome in this series. Uh, Toronto's philosophy early on in the series was to kind of let him shoot and make him – be the make or break player and he's definitely broken toronto multiple times and now that they're down their rookie scotty barnes it kind of feels like yeah that's another piece of it like it scotty seems like a a really good player to like throw on him you know yeah well just kind of play like left field he has the length to kind of contest those um shots and usually what's made him so good is just playing center field and you can't really I, – when you lose that, you're losing a, also a defender on Maxi, but a potential guy you could throw at, like, Embiid or even yeah. Harden. Yeah, and, like, those switch scenarios. But last, I guess, point for Maxi is, you know, we talked about when the James Harden trade happened, like, one thing Philly desperately needed was speed. Mm. And Harden, like, does not provide that and has not provided that. But – Maxi has really stepped up and you, you see it in this Toronto series. Like it feels like every fast break bucket Philly gets is Tyrese Maxi or because of Tyrese Maxi. Mm. Like, you know, and, and Toronto, like a very athletic team and everything, but Philly, like they just need, you know, 12 ish points a game in transition, like to just kind of booster that, you know, half court offense that sometimes gets pretty stagnant. And Tyrese Maxey is like the one fueling that right now, like getting out and just going and pushing. And it like kind of catches Toronto by surprise. It's felt like, mm-hmm. oh crap. Like, you know, cause Philly doesn't run. But right. Like, <laughs> we really know like sense of the fact that it's three on one, but he doesn't really care. Like he's just going to get to the rim. Yeah. yeah. It, it's very much of a beaten Harden to just kind of slow down the pace. Um, and not, you know, push the pace at all. And they want pick and rolls and they want slow. And, yeah, you know, that's not Maxi. He thrives in the open court. Yeah. And, you know, transitioning to Embiid, like, let me start out with this, like, incredible shot the other night. Holy. Like, like that's like, you know, when AD hit that one in the bubble. Yeah. And like, oh, my God. How is someone that big doing that? Like, this was another one of those like sweet Jesus, like the hell are you supposed to do against that one? But um, so all the credit in the world there, all the credit in the world. That's an incredible shot. But flip side of the coin, that was not a very good game for yeah. NBA, and they still won. Like th- there's not a lot of playoff teams where your best player can honestly not be very good, and you still win. Like just being honest so that's i mean credit to philly overall but also like it's kind of like a toronto like that was your one to steal right kind of get back into it that was it yeah Embiid's settling for threes now um i think he took like seven the other night and he'd only taken like four in the first two games combined like he's getting tired like you can see it he's getting tired is this the is that the case is this going to be the case for toronto it's like if you can get him 
more tired later in these games. Like, and you can figure out a way to kind of slow down Harden, Maxi, whoever's going off that night. Do you have a legitimate chance yet still? And if you're Siakam, like, can you find your rhythm on offense to kind of get, get stuff going? Well, that's what matters more to me is like, I think, yes, you can tire them out. Like it's working, but they're like, if we're just being completely honest, like Siakam has been bad. Yeah. He really has. Like he, he has not been able to like consistently like break down Tobias Harris. Like he has not consistently been able to break down, you know, a smaller defender that got switched onto him. If, Mm. If that's what's happening, then Toronto has no chance. Cause right. Like, Fred's going to hit his shots for sure. Like, and he, you know, again, not the most consistent, but like he hit some clutch ones the other day. And like, you're just not relying on Ananobi for that. Like you're not relying on precious Achua for that, even though he's been pretty good um, and a good score for you. Like Gary Trent was going off the other night. He's finally back, mm. but I, I just don't know if you can really, rely on any of those guys like it, it has to be siakam and right now he's not punishing you know bigs um switch on to him when he's on the perimeter and he's not punishing guards when he has him in the mid or low post like you got to win one area if you're right. still like that's got to be the focus for game four like win one area of the court on offense and if you can't then toronto's going to get swept like first being real i hope yep. that doesn't happen but kind of feels that way like there's just no momentum right now for Siakam yeah I mean that's been the biggest thing with Toronto is that they've been so good in the open court um and push and in in transition but their half court offense isn't really that good um so I mean it kind of makes sense when the playoffs slow slow stuff down that he in turn has, has kind of struggled but I think you're right. I think if Siakam can't find anything in game four, then this thing's a wrap. Yeah. Well, that's why it proves so valuable every year in the NBA. We talk about it all regular season during the draft, like the wing self creator who can also get others involved is the most valuable player. And for Toronto, that has to be Siakam. Yep. He's not going to be that guy. They have no chance. It's why he's kind of viewed more as like a big because You know, you don't always know that that's what you're going to get from them. But, you know, teams like Boston that have a similar setup in terms of, like, team structure and play style. Okay, well, they have Tatum. And Tatum does these things. Even though he didn't have a great game the other night, had a great fourth quarter. Like, that's just kind of the difference in the NBA. You have one of these guys or you don't. And Philly, I mean, like, I guess Harden should be that guy, but Embiid plays like that guy, even though he's massive. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So it still kind of does it. But like we said, like big guys do get tired more easily and we're seeing it. Right. You, know, you can sweep and then get a good long rest before the next round. Obviously very favorable to Philly um, long-term moving forward in the playoffs here. But assuming they play like Miami, and again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but Miami is also up 2-0. Like that's not a great series for Embiid. Like, talking about wearing him down. Adebayo, yeah, one of the best defenders. And like we talked about earlier, Miami, one of the best team defenses. Yeah, it it could be very tough sledding for Embiid. That dude's going to take so many elbows from, like, P.J. Tucker underneath the rim. Like, he's going to have, like, four broken ribs, you know? (laughs) 
what what would be the uh line on <laughs> on uh Butler and Harden fighting in the series? Like what game mark would it be? If I said it at like two and a half, are you taking happen. under over? Wouldn't happen because James wouldn't want that smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, might get into it though. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, transition over to the western conference yeah um, let's move I on to but... let's move move on to some suns pelicans um <laughs> man it's a bummer that bookers hurt huh that sucks um i mean i you know the first report was like two games with this hamstring injury now hearing maybe a couple weeks with it who knows i'm not gonna lie like the Suns are still going to be fun to watch. And like this, I think it's still a weirdly entertaining series. But yeah, Devin Booker going for like 30 in the first half and everything the other night was like wild. The logo to- threes to cap it off, too. Yeah. And not to get that for maybe the rest of the series. Yeah, it really blows. Like, can I kind of be honest, though? I don't think this gives the Pelicans any better chance of winning the series. I mean, winning the series, probably not. Extending the series, maybe. But probably not winning it. You're right. I, I think Chris Paul is just going to be phenomenal. Um, and we're like, this is the, this is the moment for Chris. Like you can kind of seize and prove like, yeah, I'm still the best point guard in the league or, you know, yeah. whatever you want to, whatever you want to state your case there. But I, I think there's a legitimate chance that, the Suns could close this game, this thing out in like five, six still. Like, it's not like the Pelicans are like a locked. I feel like there's some discourse around like, oh, the Pelicans can move on, like could potentially win. And I don't, I don't really think that's the case. Like the structure of the Suns are still there. Yeah. I mean. They won games without Devin Booker this year. Yeah. A lot of them. I know. I know. I mean, one thing I always like look at when trying to figure out who's going to win a series is like how many guys or situations do you have where like you can win a series. So like for new Orleans, again, this is like my thought process here is like, do you have a, like a star that can win you a game? Yes. You have Brandon Ingram. You have a second star that can win you a game. Yes. I would say CJ McCollum can win you a game. And then I go through, like, do you have a coach that can win you a game? I like Willie Green, but like probably not in this series. Do you like okay? And then I go like, do you have a home court that like can win you a game in this series? No offense to the Smoothie King Center, but no. Yeah. And then, like, do you have like a collection of role players that if they get hot on the same night, like can win you a game? Love Herb Jones, but probably not win you a game, right? So, like, the Pelicans really only have, like, a couple of games worth of, like, talent to, like, actually get, you know? Mm. So, like, that's the hard part is, like, yeah, even with Booker out, it still only feels like the Pelicans have, like, two guys that can actually win you a game. Maybe Ingram or McCollum's good enough to win you a third, but, like, it's just unlikely. Mm. So, I would like to you know extend this series out but i i wouldn't be shocked if this is a five game series still but again i mentioned at the top 
my Brandon Ingram for all NBA pick. Feeling very validated, Ryan. Very validated. That is uh, (laughs) – that guy has just been incredible in the play-in, in the playoffs now. Dude's a bucket, and is it's the Pelicans got exactly what they needed when they traded away Anthony Davis, and that was a future star, um, and just a main creator who can also create for others. <laughs> like we just <laughs> said it, Ryan. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's that's the point. It's you know, it's a guy who can just get a bucket for himself or create for someone else, and. That's the biggest thing in the NBA right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I know people want to loosely toss around the Durant stuff. And, like, I mean, I get the body type and everything, but he, he's good on his own right. Like, we don't necessarily have to compare him to KD or, or whoever. Like, we can just say Brandon Ingram's incredible. Like, yeah. Like, right. Uh, however you want to slice it, phrase it, whatever. Like, Brandon Ingram is very good. And that, that should be compliment enough if you actually watch him play. Yeah, I think that's the other thing is like if this year, like first time since like him being on the Lakers, like watching him, yeah, he's gotten a lot better since then, and he's absolutely incredible. When he's taken like the same step Tatum has with like the, it's not just that he's scoring; it's like the passing now too. It's right, taken like another step forward. Like we talked about it with the All NBA episode of like that dude's averaging like five assists a game. And it's like mm-hmm. real assists, not not just like uh, I, I'm going to pass it to you with two seconds left on the shot clock. I hope you make the shot, you know? Right. It's real assist. So it's it's seeing the double come and hitting a cutter, ja- cutting Jackson Hayes for a dunk. You know, it's him look good. Yeah. 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 Um, that would like naturally wasn't happening before, but it's yes. really come together this season. Yes, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, you want to move on to the Grizzlies Wolves now? Yeah, I can some recency with this one since we saw game three today. Um, Ryan, I don't know what the hell to do here. Um, <laughs> the, the Wolves were talking on a lot of smoke and didn't seem to back it up in game three <laughs> at all. It's like, uh, we we're again talking about it when we were getting set up and everything, like. It's like they're either scoring like 39 points in a quarter or like the next quarter they were scoring 12. Right. They would score like 32 in the third. And then like they barely got to 12 points in the fourth quarter. Mm. Like, I, I, I made this note when we were prepping this pod um, a couple of days ago. Like it, it's like they came into game one, like that college team that just went on like that awesome conference tournament run. And then even though they were still a low seed in the NCAA tournament, like still won their round one game. And we're just like, oh my God, like what, what is going on with Virginia Tech right now? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Memphis game two was like, okay, we're going to put you back in your place. But then game three, again, Memphis was playing bad, like foul trouble in the first half. Like John Morant had two quick ones in the first. Jaron Jackson Jr. couldn't stop fouling all night. Like, they basically just banished Steven Adams like from the team and no, or uh, Minnesota had like a 26 point lead that they just choked. Like like, just choked. Yeah. And we, again, talking about this, like you have to understand like what it means to play offense in the playoffs 
like you have to understand how important every shot is and every possession is. And Minnesota just has no understanding about it right now. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have that one guy. It's like, okay, the, you know, the other team's gone on a eight Oh run. We need to like slow it down, get in our stuff. And this is how we're going to get a bucket on this possession. And this is how we're going to get a stop on their end. And then we're going to get another bucket. It feels like, <laughs> I mean, the comparison is like Chris Paul, but like they need someone and Anthony Edwards isn't there yet. And Carl Anthony Towns has to be on the floor to do that. <laughs> and uh, D'Angelo Russell is just not that player. So like, there's not really anybody who ha- would have the, the ball in their hands enough to do that for this team. Yeah. And, and again, it's like you watch them and you see the talent. Like, it just shines through with Minnesota. Like, and even Cat hasn't even played particularly well in a, a couple games here, but you see between Cat and D'Lo and Edwards, like, just the raw talent they have. But, like, even Memphis, while they don't have a lot of playoff experience, like, you watch the other games and you can just see how Mike Conley, I know he plays for Utah now, like, it's just like we're gonna get a good shot here. Like we are mm. going to do the right thing here. I it may not be the most talented player out there, but it's just gonna be like we're gonna be in command. Like we're gonna do what we need to do here. And Minnesota just doesn't have that guy. Like Pat Bev, like you know, to a, a very small degree can do it, but like you know, not for thirty six minutes of running your team. And it also seems like Chris Finch, like as a coach who's done an amazing job with that roster. Like he hasn't been there either to like get them into what they need to get into. Like it just feels like they're just chucking Mm. for the entire game. And when the talents, you know, just rising and just like cream of the crop we're we're playing, like it's really cool. But at the same time, when you're just chucking a lot, like if that shot's not going in, like it looks real ugly. You got to get some paint touches. You got to get some cutting. You got to get some player movement. You've got to get some off-ball screens. Get some lobs for like J- Jared Vanderbilt, something yeah. like that. You know, something easy. Minnesota just does none of that. Like once they start feeling themselves a little bit. Yeah, I think D'Angelo Russell. I, I mean, I, I, I like D D'Lo. Um, I think there's some people who are out there who probably aren't the biggest fans, but like when that's not really like his thing. Like his thing is to like get into ISO ball screen and roll and find his like mid range or like step back three. Um, And so like, I don't know. Which is fine. Which is fine. But when you're in the playoffs, like no, you can't take three step back threes or like three floaters in a row. Like that's, that's not the offense we're going for right now. This isn't a Tuesday in February in Charlotte. You know, yeah. right, and that's what this is kind of going to come back to is if that's how you're going to play both teams, really. I'm just going to trust Memphis a little more, you know. Mm. Like it, yeah, you could tell me Minnesota still wins like another game, like an, like their next home game, but at the same time, like if you told me Memphis, you know, won out for the rest of the series, I wouldn't be shocked either. Because, like, Desmond Bain is just such a good player. Like, Dylan Brooks is finding a way to like, get under players' skin, you know? 
Like, yeah, Tyus Jones is going to come in off the bench and be like totally in control of the offense, along with you know other really talented players that they have on their roster, like Zaire Williams as a rook, or um, y- you know, like uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. when he's actually on the floor playing, not fouling out. Like they they have real talent too, right? It's not just a couple of guys like John Morant. Like they have a lot of good players too. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Warriors Nuggets, which is happening as we record. Um, yeah. this, I, is, this is a sad series for me, Ryan. It could be so amazing. It could be one of the best series. It could be one of these top series that we've been talking about. If you know Denver was fully healthy. Yeah, and again, I'm coming at this like someone like I I would have voted. Nikola Jokic MVP. Yes. Like, don't be wrong. If they get swept, like, I know it's going to be a bad look. Like, I know. And I don't really care. But I also think it's kind of proof of, like, this Denver team is a disaster. (laughs) This is so bad. Yeah. It's hard to watch him. I mean, don't be wrong. Like, he's still getting quite a few assists. But how many he's creating, and it's just like wide open threes getting bricked. Like, I can't watch Aaron Gordon take another three, Ryan. Yes, no. I can't watch Will Barton take another above the break three. That's just <laughs> like, come on. No like, one on Denver besides Jokic, like when I watch them shoot, do I have any confidence that it's going in? <laughs> and that's how they're playing right now, too. Right. Like, even game two, like I know Jokic got tossed in game two. You know, Golden State won by 20. All mm. first half, like, that was a close game. Like, yeah. That was like a five-point game at halftime or something. Or you know, maybe not. Maybe they extended it right before half. But, but, like, that was a close game. And then third quarter comes around and Denver just didn't have enough left to, like, hang with them. But, like, Denver's in these games, relatively speaking. <laughs> There's just – Jokic can only do so much, like – he he can't make the shot for you. What was the Tom Brady's wife's quote? He can't throw the ball and catch the ball. Yeah, he can't be throwing these assists and trying to score the assist. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, I'm watching the game right now, and it's like he's doing everything. Like, they're sending three bodies at him while he's hitting the paint. And, like, <laughs> like I don't know what else he's supposed to do, and you have like Steph and Jordan Poole and Clay right. bombing threes right. on the other side, and he can only yeah, do so much. Yeah, not even to bring up yeah the Denver defensive side of it too. You know, it's just been a disaster. But think about that, Ryan. Like we were talking, you know, all season, last playoffs. Like you don't double Nikola Jokic because you're just giving him wide open passing lanes. Then right when you do that, right? And Golden State's kind of like you know what. We don't care. Who are you going to pass it to? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Pass it to Jeff Green for the fifth time in the corner. Like, yeah, we're going to bet he's not going to take another corner three. Yeah. And, like, I think that just goes to show, like, we're going to completely help off everybody else, even though we know your best skill is passing. And knowing you're going to get the pass there, it just doesn't matter because that guy just sucks. Mm. uh, I'm – Again, these are NBA players. They don't suck at basketball. 
but for the context of the NBA playoffs against what might be one of the like the three, four teams that could actually win the title, they're just they're not up to that level. Yes. So mm-hmm. one of the questions I had on here, Ryan, is Aaron Gordon a top five player in this series? Like not like not even really thinking about the fact that he's been bad in this series. Like just generally speaking, is he a top five player in this series? No. No. Is he I mean, borderline, like, I don't even know if he's top six. So, like, Wiggins, I, you know? the way I think through this, so Jokic, Steph, Draymond, Poole, and Clay. Clay. Yeah. And you kind of put those in a different order, like, if you preferred, like, but conceptually, like, that's your top five. Yeah. 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 Um. And, then and like, he, Wiggins been good. So, like, is he the he's, sixth? He's in overall. Like, yeah, this playoffs, eh, eh. But, yeah, right. Like, and we're getting into, like, the Warriors bench unit before we're getting to the second best player on the Nuggets. You know? <laughs> like, like, that's I, what Jokic has to work with here. I watch Will Barton, and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like, Moten Morris is fine. It's not, I think the bigger point is like Aaron Gordon's playing out of his role or what should be his role. Yeah. yeah. He should be like the fourth option on offense and like one of your best defenders and defend like the best player on the other team. The like wing best player on the other team, I should yeah. say. Um, so he should be on like Draymond, but he's being forced to guard like clay or like get switched on to jordan pool or (laughs) or like you know and and like that's what you have like in theory jamal murray for you know maybe michael porter jr or you could actually bring monte morris off the bench there um to do some of that and like everyone for the nuggets is just out of their role right now yeah and again it's understandable like injuries happen injuries suck like you know old story told a thousand times but at the same time like the fact that Jokic got them here and he's even had them in a position in the first two games for I mean what like five six quarters of the games like is impressive but it's just not enough right kind of needs to transition to holy hell the Golden State Warriors are back (laughs) like (laughs) the death lineup part three like what like this team is this like i seriously have considered this is this like the last dynasty we're watching in in a way it kind of feels like it you know just how how can you replicate building teams like this yeah One, because of, like the financial side of it like it's just the worst of paying a bit like a bajillion dollars for this roster this year you know right but, like the development of pool which we'll get back to that in a second. Like the fact that Clay, Steph, Draymond, like have all battled injuries over the last two years and come back, maybe not better than ever, but like still incredible is just like wild to think about. Like you could have four guys on your team all at the same time playing at that level offensively. Like it, it truly is inconceivable because half the teams in the league only have like one guy like that right kind of have like four yeah this like this death lineup of clay pool and steph and draymond 
and then you can throw like Wiggins in there, or, you know, Looney or whatever, Iggy, whatever. And <laughs> they're just like, what do you, you watch this team and you're like, oh, this could be the best team in the West right now. And like, they could I'm, win the championship. I'm going to be completely honest. Cause like there was that crazy stat, like before the playoffs, the, the new death lineup, the, the pool, Curry, Clay, Dre had never played together like in the regular season. <laughs> How stupid is that to then watch it and be like, yeah, this is the best team in the NBA. Like, <laughs> That's the thing is like the, the Clay, Steph, Draymond, like those guys, like they don't need reps together. Like you hear people on NBA, like, I don't know, like TV show, like NBA today on ESPN. It's like, oh, they don't really have very many reps together. And it's like, have you not watched the last decade of NBA basketball? Yeah. Yes, they do. They've won three championships together. Like they don't need any, t- it's like riding a bike for them. And pool is like a mini version of like Steph. Like yeah. he's, he just fits right in. Well, and pools like got minutes this year, like with Steph and Draymond when Clay right. was out of the beginning. And then pool got minutes with Clay and Draymond when Steph was out here at the end of the season. So it's like, and then he's got, you know, work with Clay and Steph when Draymond was out for part of the year. So it's like, he's got reps with like all of them, like in tandem, but not, you know, as a full, you know, unit. of, of yeah. guys, yeah, full unit. So that's it, like, it kind of makes sense why they've been able to figure it out with him included, but you're right. Stylistically, they've basically just molded this dude like clay. Like I was talking about like clay, like an art class <laughs> to, to fit exactly what they need, you yeah. know? And here he is now super confident, super talented, just playing golden state warrior basketball right and it's the classic like just whip it around move run off of screens cut pass hot potato and then somehow like we're gonna get a wide open shot you know yeah someone's gonna have to because like steph caught the ball in the corner and it's like a five alarm fire going off he cut like two people go out to him he he cuts and dribbles and then the weak side has to help over from pool or whoever, or it's getting tossed back out to Draymond because, you know, they're resetting and then it's like resetting into a pick and roll and like Draymond short rolling. It's just like a really incredible offense to watch. And I, I'm just so impressed. Like, I don't know how you defend this over seven game series. Like it's the thing. Like you just got to pray that you get a hand up enough and, some of these wild jumpers just eventually don't go in. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and like, they just kind of tire out or uh, whatever. I don't <laughs> like That's clay so doesn't hit his shots that night. Like, I, is yeah. that your best hope? Pretty much. Although, and again, maybe it's just Denver, but there's nothing about the way any of those individuals look to make you think like offensively, this isn't going to keep going. Mm. Now, maybe we could talk about defensively with Golden State, like how better teams with more talent will be able to pick on them more. But at the same time, like, I don't know if it matters. (laughs) Like you can score 120, but they might score 130. (laughs) Yeah. End of the day, they still win. 
and then I guess we can come back to the Jordan Poole bit now. How in the world is that guy not on the most improved player finalist list? Like the, the final three. Like that's if you're like work for Warriors PR, are you like flying to New York to knock down the door of the NBA? Because this is, I mean, again, this guy was like playing real G League minutes last year. And now he's, you know, through the first two games of the playoffs, averaging 29 and a half points per game. Like, and you just watch him and you're like, this this guy's going to be making $30 million next year. <laughs> or I guess the year after that, you know, because he's still on his rookie deal. But like when he's got gets the opportunity to get paid, he's going to get paid. I I, mean, I, I get the other guys are, are realistic MIP candidates also. But come on. Like no one, no one really saw this for Jordan Poole. I mean, when we when he got drafted late in that, what was it, first round? Was he a first round pick? Yeah, he was like 28 or something. Yeah, I think we both kind of said like he was fine at Michigan or well, I I think we yeah, both kind of said like he might have been fine at Michigan, but is this like, Didn't is this really going to work? Yeah, like he was just kind of like a no conscience, just like kind of chucker not great feel to be honest not really a passer it's just kind of like you it felt like a guy who should have gone back to school mm. and they took him at like yeah 28 or whatever and they basically just like groomed him like we see what we want to see as like a baseline foundation i was like okay like if that's really what you're looking for and think will work cool and they bet on themselves and they bet on their organization and they were right it makes you think like it does give you kind of hope for James Wiseman then. I know that's a different topic for a different time, but like if you can develop this guy into like what you just outlined into like a borderline like star in the NBA, like what does that mean for their other guys that they've drafted? You know, Minga, Moody, yeah, Wiseman. Right, right, right. It makes you think that the Warriors have like another like gap they could bridge here, um, yeah. which would be something else. But anyways, moving on to the final series, Mavs Jazz. Um, one one, but uh, it's about to go two one. Yeah, it looks like Dallas is going to hold on here. Utah's you know trying to get back into this, but they're down I think eight with ten seconds left, so probably not happening. What? I, I don't even know, Ryan. I don't even know. Like, okay, let me just. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out on the Jazz. I'm out. I'm saying it. I don't care if they come back and win this series. Luka Doncic, the best, the the heartbeat of this offense, is missing, and you can't win three games consecutively against that team. Yeah, I mean, you you can't stop Jalen Brunson. You can't seem to keep track of Reggie Bullock. <laughs> you can't keep track of Maxi Kleba. Yeah, like Dinwiddie is just kind of getting to wherever he wants. I I mean Dorian Finney Smith, like shot 40% from three. And so you don't even realize you gotta put a hand up. All right, yeah, this one just ended 126 to 118. Like it's it's like Utah's going into every game without a scouting report, Ryan. Like <laughs> At what point do you not 
learn from like the last game. It's like the I, I said this off air to you. It's like the Jazz made or excuse me, the Mavs made one adjustment to the series and was like, okay, we're just gonna pick and pop you to death. And that's yeah. been the adjustment. And the Jazz can't figure it out. Like, I don't know if it, like I know Quinn Snyder's a really good coach and really smart. I just don't know, like, is this a player's unwillingness to like change? Or is this like something else going on with this team? Yeah. And those are the the type of things we'll get in the expose, you know, post Rudy Rudy Gobert trade, you know. <laughs> uh, right. But I I think what Dallas has figured out, you, you mentioned the pick and pop. It doesn't even matter if it's like Kleba or Bertans popping, like they can pop Dwight Powell mm. passing the ball. And even if he's not shooting, Gobert's so far off that then go that Dwight Powell can just transition to the other side of the floor into like a dribble handoff. And there's no one there to help. Mm. Cause Gobert had sunk off initially on the, 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 you know, the, the drive off the pick and roll mm. from Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie. It's kind of like the Draymond thing in golden state. Like if you're going to help off Draymond, he's just going to go set a screen. Right. And you're not going to be able to help on the screen. It, it's like Dallas is figure out like, if you're not going to, you know, respect Powell, do that. If you're not going to respect Kleber or Bertans, they're just going to shoot. So I, I think those like just that adjustment of we're going to be a perimeter based team. I, it's the same thing that kills Utah every year. And maybe again, I don't want to say this is a Quinn Snyder problem, but I don't know. Like, I guess you, you, what are you supposed to do with Rudy? Like he's a good defensive player. Like he really is. I don't know what you do with it though. This is, this is ridiculous at this point. Like, this yeah. Really insane. The drop coverage thing. Like if it keeps happening every, every year, like, and even when you like bring him up to screen level, it doesn't look great. Like it just never looks good. And, like, sometimes, like, Rudy will win some of those matchups, sure. But, like, you get him so far out of his comfort zone and, like, weird things start to happen. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even Dallas, I saw it a lot in this game, watching it is, it's not just in that, like, Rudy's helping off. You know, it's that if Rudy, they kind of did, like, the Robert Williams thing with him at times where, like, Hey, we're just gonna go have him like just guard the corner, and then like slide over to protect the rim. Like once the drive happens, which is what Boston does a lot with Robert Williams too. So like, not a bad idea. Is like the the Dallas guards figured out is okay. I can still hit your man in the corner because, like again, just for example, Dinwiddie drives off the right wing, and Gobert was guarding you know, Dorian Finney-Smith in the left corner. Whoever's on the left wing will just kind of go, like, set, like, a back screen on mm. Gobert, and there's no one to turn and run at Dorian Finney-Smith then when Spencer Dinwiddie gives that cross-court kick out. Mm. And it was just kind of like, we're going to punish you for standing down here, and that wing defender for Utah doesn't realize that's what's happening, nor do they feel like they could leave their man going to set that back screen. Because then Dallas is just going to hit that man as like a little dump off pass, like a cutter, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just like you're you're getting stuck there and you're just 
if you're just telling Rudy Gobert, if you want to go play at the rim, then we're just going to kind of pin you under the rim and keep your guy out on the perimeter. Like it, it really is a nice adjustment by kid. And if you're Quinn Snyder, I kind of feel like you're at the point of like just saying F it, leave Gobert out on Kleba and Smith and whoever, and just say like, all right, guards, go get roasted. Like <laughs> tired of this. Like, <laughs> like take some pride in your individual defense. Like quit just relying on Rudy. Right. Cause that's also a part of this too. Like these guards are just getting cooked. Like, <laughs> Donovich, like he started picking up like Brunson at like half court just to force the ball out of his hands and it didn't rolling like it did, but no one else was guarding them still. And ultimately it didn't matter. Right. Right. Yeah. It j- I think that's what, that's a great point is like, it comes down to a pride thing, right? Like you just have to, say like, yeah, I'm not letting my, I'm not going to get backdoored or I'm, I'm actually going to like pay attention and get a hand up on defense. And like, there's like defenders, like you don't have to be the best defender in the world. You just have to give effort on that side of the ball. And like time and time again, like you see guys in the NBA who aren't the best defenders, but will give like effort and you can at least come up with like two steals a game. Like, it's not like, we're not asking you to be Marcus Smart or Mikel Bridges or any any of the other defensive player of the years. Just give some freaking effort. Just don't lose your man. Like, <laughs> is it really that hard to not lose your guy? Like this is like when the freshman team comes up and plays like the varsity players in high school and just like they just get back cut to death. Or like they just get wide open kick out threes, not because like they're blowing by you, but literally just like they just lose their guy after a while. Like, yeah, it's like this. It doesn't have to be this way. Like, just learn, like, yeah, how to like stay in position and keep track of your guy. Yeah. If you force a tough contested shot and they make it, cool. Like, there's nothing you do about that. But just the wide open threes, the wide open like layups, like that, those are the inexcusable ones. What was the stat the other night? Like, Dallas hit 17 uncontested threes in game two. Most teams don't even hit 17 three. <laughs> like, that's where all their offense was coming from. Like, it was the most, like, obvious. Like, no one was getting back to their guy. Like, no one was switching. Gives the closeout back to the guy. Right. Rotate gives a closeout to the guy. Like, oh, they keep to the corner. Yeah, well, I was guarding my man on the wing. I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> Take rotate. two steps to your right and at least put a hand up then. Like, help out. <laughs> Well, that's what, like, you mentioned Boston earlier. Like, you watch their – I mean, we even talked about Miami. Like, the scramble defense behind behind the play is what's so, so important. You, yeah. just, you don't even have to be, like, right in someone's face. You have to be closing out on them hard enough to just make them stop for a second about, do I really want to shoot this? And in that half second, you're getting there closer. And then you can contest. Or sometimes you'll run your dude off the three-point line and you're back in scramble. Like, it's like it's just an effort thing with Utah. Like, yeah. this team is so roasted. Like, they just don't feel like they want to win a playoff series at this point. No. No, they don't. But this has to be the organizational shakeup year, Ryan. Like, I can't go through another year of this. At this point, I don't even care if it's Quinn Snyder, if it's you know, Donovan, if it's Rudy, 
if it's Conley, if it's Bogdanovich, like I just don't even care at this point. Like, just give me something different. Like, change for the sake of change. Like, I know it's a bad thing to say, but like, I don't care. Yeah, go get Gordon Hayward or something like that. Oh, right, that's uh, <laughs> not, not probably shouldn't talk about that. Anyways, tell me, give me, give me two good reasons why the Utah Jazz are going to be better than the Thunder in two years. Like, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Being honest, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander and uh and uh Josh Giddy have me really excited about this team, so <laughs> I'm not gonna convince myself otherwise. <laughs> uh, there. Anyways, anyways, let's move on to topic two. We're gonna talk some awards. Uh we don't have to hit, I guess, uh t- talk about these a ton. Um, but we I guess we can kind of hit some of them and give give a reason why as we chose who we chose. Um, so let's start off with most improved player, Matt. Who you got? As referenced previously, again, the fact that he wasn't even a finalist, like real life is insane, but Jordan Poole, like this guy went from being not on like the team really to a starter and in important playoff contributor mm. like that dude again you'd watch him and you're like this is an nba starting guard like at for like a playoff team like right any playoff team he would be a starting guard um i i like maxi garland you know miles bridges there are others like that are really good candidates here desmond bain but i'm going with jordan Poole. yeah i i I had some of the names you listed, Garland, Monk, uh, Triple J, Anthony Edwards, but I ended up going with Poole as well. No idea how he's not the winner here. No idea. I don't know who, how the voting happened here. I No idea, but he should have been most improved player. Again, uh, I really like Garland, for example, but I don't know. Like, I, th- I think Garland probably still is the better player. I guess right now, but I don't know if in a year if he's still the better player. Like as wild as that sounds. Can but, we like say that for sure? I mean, like I guess Garland was the heartbeat of the, the offense and yeah, that's... he was the only guy who could dribble on that team. But, <laughs> <laughs> it's fair point. It's fair point. That. But like I, I guess one little thing here is like I didn't have a jaw in my consideration. Kind of the same mm. way like I didn't put Anthony Edwards in my consideration, like mm. I don't know when you're the number one or two overall pick from the last couple drafts. Like, yeah, you're supposed to keep getting good and be like incredible. Like that's kind of why you're pick number one or two overall. Right. So, I guess it's just like a slight philosophical thing, but I don't. I don't knock them being on the list necessarily. You know. So. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, six man of the year. I mean, there's a list of guys here, like. Cam Johnson, Jordan Clarkson, Luke Kennard, really good year. Yeah. Uh, Malik Monk, who is on your MIP list. Kevin Love, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Manuel Quickly. But to me, like it felt pretty obvious. Like this had to be Tyler Hero. Basically yeah. a starter for the Heat. One <laughs> team in the East. Yeah, I, I have Hero as well. I, I think Cam Johnson would have probably been my second place. Um and really? maybe maybe winning if he played it played more um he kind of made a mini leap if 
if you haven't watched much of the Suns. Um, but I mean, Hero is is well deserved there. Yeah, I, part of it was like there were large chunks of the season for Miami where they just didn't have a lot of guys that could dribble either, kind of like the Cleveland situation. Yeah, and playing G League dudes essentially. Yeah, so I uh, I think this has to be a pretty clear choice. Like when you're even if it is like as a volume scorer, like you know it's still putting up twenty points a game, so. Right, it's kind of like the Clarkson thing last year. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, they chuck a lot, but he scores, so team needs mm-hmm. it. Got to give him the award, I guess. Uh, all right, coach of the year. So many good choices this season. This uh, season. So many. Um, and we touched on a lot of them today. Um, I yeah. personally had Monty Williams. I the, the runaway best team in the NBA. And he was the coach. Um, I it may be a makeup for last year, but I, I went with Monty Williams. Yeah, I went Taylor Jenkins. It's um, a good pick. I can. When you talk about so many guys developing, you know, Jaw, Triple J, Desmond Bain, like, I mean, part of that is like individual player development. But I would like to think part of that also comes back to coaching, like mm. putting them in positions to succeed you know, helping them get better. But then on top of it, like John misses, you know, 25 games and your team still wins like 80% of those like matchups. Like that's wild. That's like mm. a lot to do with coaching. So um, again, you could have told me Udoka won it, JB won it, you know, kid, you know, Ty Lu, you know, Willie Green. You could tell me a whole bunch of different options there. I'd be fine with pretty much any of them. But I went Taylor Jenkins. I like it. It's a good pick. I mean, the Grizzlies, we've talked about it before, was projected to be a play-in team. So, like, the fact that there's the two in the West is pretty insane. Yeah. One of the stories of the league this year, too. Mm. Uh, narrative matters a little bit. It's a good Should point. Have, it does. Okay. Defense. All defense. Um, yeah. We'll give first and second team. All, all defense and then also our defensive player of the year um, along with that so we we have pretty similar lists overall um, maybe not quite the same placements but pretty similar lists so um, my first team I went guards smart and bridges same and then front court we went uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Bam and Rudy Gobert uh, my, my list is pretty similar I have Gobert at center, Triple J, and Giannis at forward, and then Bridges and Smart as my two guards. Yeah, so the only difference there being in the front court, you had Giannis, I had Bam. Yeah. Totally get it. Giannis is on my second team. I'll go ahead and list it out. I put Draymond at center. I don't know if he's actually eligible at center or not. Definitely should be, obviously. He practically plays center all the time. so. so I'm putting him there. I don't care. Or, heck, Giannis should be eligible at center also, so... Whoever put center there. So Draymond, Giannis, um, Herb Jones, mm. DeJounte Murray, and Drew Holiday. I had then on my second team, Bam, Draymond, Herb, DeJounte Murray, and Drew Holiday. Yeah. So pretty similar there. Really um, we're just switching Bam and Giannis between our teams. Yes. Yes. The <laughs> Giannis, what sealed it, what kind of put it over the edge was the 
that stretch he had there at the end of the season where that two-way stretch where he just had the game-winning block in Philly, had an incredible game in Brooklyn. Um, and just watching him over the over this year is like he wasn't necessarily giving a thousand percent all the time, it felt like. No. But he was just when he need when you needed a stop, he was your guy. Yeah. I get it. Like again, makes sense. And he played more games too. Yes. Than I again me personally maybe this is how i view basketball but uh, you know draymond if he would have played more games like would have been first team mm. would have been defensive player of the year bam i in my head when i went into this exercise like i went in thinking like 55 games is my cutoff for first team he played 56 so barely made it but made it if i wouldn't have voted draymond defensive player of the year I probably would have voted Bam Defensive Player of the Year. Again, mm. games played probably keeps him out of the Defensive Player of the Year finalist. But like, I kind of different thresholds for first team All Defense and Defensive Player of the Year. That makes sense. Um, but I think Bam was just that good, like mm. handling every type of player in the NBA: bigs, wings, guards. He defended everybody. It's it, it's wild, and like not that Giannis didn't obviously, but. I just feel like Bam was like truly elite all year at that. And that's like the most valuable thing to me. So again, not a lot of wrong choices though, particularly between those six players. Um, we listed for first team and then the one we disagreed on. Um, but defensive player of the year, Brian. I I try not to be a homer. I picked Mikhail Bridges. <laughs> be a homer, Matt. Change your pick. He did wear a pretty sweet, you know, robe the other day. <laughs> Marcus Smart, you know, we, we know he won defensive player of the year. He was my pick. That dude, uh, you know, say what you want about him, but that guy is the heartbeat of that defense. And they were the best team in the East for like a three-month stretch there. And because of the defense. Because yeah. of the defense. And I just watching Boston from the beginning of the season to now that team is bought in. And a lot of that reason they're bought in is because Marcus smart bought into his role and he's the quarterback for defense for them. And I think that matters. Is it statistically does everything else point to other players? Sure. But like just watching that player, it looks like he, he is the best, one of the best players on defense in, in this season particularly. Um, is he the best defensive player all around? I don't think so, but I also think he's the best player, defensive player this season. Yeah. And I want Mikhail, again, similar reasons. Like, he guards everybody. Right. It, it doesn't matter. Um, again, I, I mentioned, like, you had to play a certain amount of games for me to be like defensive player of the year. Again, I went into this, you know, without knowing all the guys' game totals, like 65 was roughly like the number in my head. Kel Bridges plays every game, you know, and right. That matters a lot. Like it doesn't matter. You're banged up. You're hurt. You know, who else is out there with you? 
Like you're playing every single day. Um, and then on top of it, I mentioned, you know, he can guard one through five. He really can. And then kind of what put me over the edge to go with bridges is, you know, you're talking about the Celtics, the Celtics really bought in. And we mentioned at the top, like Robert Williams was, I mean, kind of like a, in this also conversation um, for defense player of the year, first, second team, all NBA defense. Well, there's no one else on Phoenix that would be in this consideration. Mm. Like, and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown aren't even in this conversation. And they are actually terrific defenders also. It's what's, you know, really given the, the Nets a bugaboo in, in that series. There's no one like that for Phoenix. Like Cam Johnson's like a decent defender. Like Devin Booker's, you know, I would say maybe average to slightly above average on defense now. Chris Paul, when needed, can be an above average defender. Like DeAndre Ayton, you know, knows how to use his size well. But I wouldn't say any of those guys are better defenders than their positional counterpart for Boston. So, and Phoenix, again, another team with an elite defense this year. So I went with McHale um, as my defensive player of the year. Again, probably not wrong with either, really. I know Smart was voted defensive player of the year. Um, We didn't get this pot out before that was announced, but Again, I think both are great choices. I, w- I wouldn't have been mad as a Celtics fan if Bridges would have won it this year, to be honest. Yeah, there's definitely a case for Bridges. Um, like you said, he guards the best perimeter player from the other team and does a pretty good job at it, too. Um, I <laughs> I wonder how much, like, like Mikel Bridges isn't really a known name right yet no. among like outside of like hardcore NBA fans so like is that does that play into the candidacy some probably yeah, yeah. Uh, um because if it really did feel like it came down to smart and Gobert um when you're probably right it should have been more of a three-person race like the MVP races yeah like Mikhail I think did finish second in the voting um but again like that's, that's right yeah he did follow the league yeah like and really pay attention to this stuff so um again not that gobert was bad defensively this year obviously like not i one there may have been some fatigue there but i think people are just starting to factor in like the what else can you do on defense like you can't just be great at one thing like you have to figure out how to be great at a lot of things now mm. Mm. it's good Moving on to our last category, rookie of the year and rookie first and second teams. Matt, who did you have on your first team? A, a personal favorite um, of, the, of this podcast. Um, so went with Cade, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, Franz Wagner, and then for my fifth spot, this is the debatable spot. I went with Herb Jones, although... I feel like he's not the most talented of other guys I had to choose from. Um, again, I think games played has to matter a bit here. So went Herb for the fifth spot on the first team. So I, on my first team at Cade, Josh Guinea went with a homer pick there. Yeah, Scotty did. Barnes, Evan Mobley, and Franz, Franz Wagner. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I... <laughs> I fully agree with you. Giddy should be first team. Like, it's, I mean, way, it's, it's, it's games play. played. I get it. But like, he was better than Jalen Green this year. Oh, yeah. He had, he was, while Shea was out for stretches of the season, he was the starting point of the offense. And he squeaked out a couple wins um, that the Thunder really weren't supposed to win against some good teams. Yeah. No, he he was one of those guys, like, doing wrong, the shot has to improve. We can talk about all that stuff, but he knew what he was doing out there like from the like day one in the NBA, which is not something you see with really many rookies, but particularly not rookie guards. Mm. I think that's what's incredibly impressive about Josh Giddy. Like Barnes and Mobley were good from day one, but they weren't having to run their teams from day one. Giddy kind of was. And that that was really special. Like again, no one had him as high as Sam Presti did on their draft boards, but it's sure as heck paying off now. Like that's, that's for certain. Um, and then second team, I went giddy, of course, went Jalen green. Cause he did have a good statistical into the season. Like you can see the talent. So I went, mm. him. I went Kaminga again, not a lot of production in the first half of the year, but man, you you saw him for Golden State that second half of the year. Like, oh crap. Like they got another guy, didn't they? <laughs> um and then Bowens Highland was good for a playoff team all year. And then my last pick, I went Io Dosunmu. Started 41 games for the Bulls, Ryan. Um, he was good. All the injuries in their backcourt with like Caruso and Lonzo just stepped up, averaged like 12 and 7. Mm. So, I mean, helped keep them honestly afloat in the playoffs. So I had to go IO for my last second team spot. So my second team is Herb Jones, uh, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, uh, Bones Highland, and Austin Reeves. Um, I debated on that last spot some, like with guys like, um, IO, um, and, uh, oh, I'm drawing blank on the Knicks, Knicks guy. Um, oh, um, not, uh, not quickly. Anyways, Grimes, is it Grimes? Grimes. Grimes. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He had some nice, their other rookies, like. I was like, he doesn't mean Jericho Sims. Or <laughs> yeah, I was pulling Jericho Sims for the second team. Uh, <clears throat> I thought about guys like that, you know, potentially for a spot like this. Um, Chris Duarte was good. For Chris Indiana. Duarte was good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's there's pl- tons of rookies in this class who, who have been really good. But I think Austin Reeves, kind of from the jump of the season – was pretty good for the Lakers. He had some, you know, really good growth moments and played some significant minutes. And he was starting to look kind of good, you know, at the end of the year there. Um, could hit hit his jump shot um, and sort of reliable in some crunch time minutes. So yeah. I kind of went with him over some of the other candidates for my last spot here. I mean, if we're being honest, like 
he was a top five player for the Lakers this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brutally honest. Yeah. Like, my better season than THT. <laughs> so true. Um, and, and even guys like Jose Alvarado, who kind of had a nice yeah. end to the year, like he would be a nice look, but again, it's, I think a, a kind of a year perspective. And I don't think that, yeah. you know, Alvarado did anything to earn over Austin Reeves, what his, body I, I hate to say this term but body of work um yeah. over the season no, i get it like again like we weren't asked to rank the 10 best rookies right first second team all nba rookie so i get it so i guess the last thing here is rookie of the year ryan i know who i want to pick but i i'm gonna pick Cade cunningham here screw screw all the noise about evan mobley and scotty barnes give me the guy who walked into freaking Detroit, Michigan, and put the Pistons back on a, on track to be a playoff team in the next five years? Like that dude is uh, shouldering the load on offense. Is an awesome two way player. Is like at the end of the season when the Nets were needing to win games, he was going toe to toe with Kevin Durant. Like no one. Very few players in the league are doing that, let alone rookies. And just for my, just for my vote, I know that like, you know, I just went, I'm contradicting myself here because I talk about body work and like Cade's like first, like a little month stretch was rough, but I think when he turned it on towards the end of the season, he was not only the best rookie, but one of the best players in the league. So you mentioned getting Detroit to the playoffs in the next five years. I mean, probably that's like a whole team thing. If we're if we can count the plan for the sake of this conversation, Ryan, I don't see why Cade can't have them in the plan in the next two years. Mm. Like, Truth. I, I am irrationally high on Cade Cunningham. Like <laughs> again, we talked about it previous. Wing creators who can also create for others. Like it's the most valuable thing in the league. Detroit might have the best one 20 years of age and younger. Like <laughs> just insane. Like he, the dude's like Luca. You know? Um uh, yeah, his peak as, as like a rookie was better than any other rookie's peak mm. this this season. And again, yeah, it's like body of work for the full year, best play. Like again. I guess it just depends on how you feel like voting at the end of the day. I want to vote for Cade. I would probably vote for Scotty just because he was like a starter for a team that finished fifth in the East from day one. And like, not just the fifth starter, mm. you know, like, again, defensively was all over the place this year in a positive way. Offensively. Like we, if you, I don't know if you remember this, Ryan, but like when we were prepping for the draft, I told you, like, Scotty Barnes, like, his shot doesn't look bad, but it's never gone in. Like, he didn't yeah. make shots in high school. He didn't make shots in college. Like, it looks fine. It just doesn't go in. And then magically this year, it was going in. It's <laughs> 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 crazy. Um, and, like, was a real player on both sides of the ball as a starter for the Raptors basically all season. Mm. Uh, so I gave it to Barnes. Again, though, like, Cade's the guy in this class. I don't care who wins what awards. Cade is like the dude. Yep. So 
Detroit's got a good one. I don't know if they deserve it, but they got a good one. <laughs> this rookie class, are we going to look back in like five years and be like, wow, this was some really impactful guys coming from this class? Like some legitimate number one or two options on like actually like great teams. Yeah, yeah we might have like, what, four, five guys come out of this class like that? Just insane. I, I mean, this might be, I don't know. I feel like, you know, over time, like guys have just gotten more and more skilled and this class just might be the pinnacle of that, you know, sentiment thought process, I guess. Um, We'll we'll save this for a bigger time because I want to have a bigger conversation about the future of the NBA based off of like kind of these last like two or three draft classes plus the one coming up. Well, there you go. That's a future podcast discussion post-playoffs uh, coming your way. Matt, do you have anything else you want to add to episode 138? My very last thought, Ryan. I'm pretty sure if we let the players for the rest of the playoffs call their own fouls and just said we don't need any referees, there would be less fouls called than <laughs> there are currently. In the playoffs, Ryan. If there was a disagreement, it would just be a jump ball. That, like, that, would, be the, that would be the solution. Again, I don't want to be this guy, but for the love of God, can we get some consistent refereeing in here, please? I feel like I'm in college again, like watching the NCAA tournament. Don't don't bring that up. Yeah, the it's kind of been all over the place, but Scott Foster has also been all over the place. So you know, there's and that 14 and 0 against Chris Paul. <laughs> Every time. Uh, the last thing I'll leave us with is uh, don't trust Philly, Matt. That's the only other thing. <laughs> I'll throw that throw that one out there. Right now. <laughs> uh, anyways, thank you so much for listening to episode 138. We will see you back uh, for episode 139. Yeah.